if you would please remain standing for the reading of the word. This is from Deuteronomy 8, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, the NIV. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you know which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Let me pray for us one more time. Uh, God, we come before you as your people, uh, just wanting to hear from you, hear your voice. And um, whether you're here full of faith, full of doubt, Somewhere in between, we um, invite you to slow down, um, take a moment of silence, and ask God to speak uh, to you. Take a moment just to do that right now. God, I pray that for myself, that the things that I've meditated on this week will come out and make sense. Um, I also pray that in this moment you will uh, just allow uh, the freedom to say what your word wants to say, what you want to say to us. May my meditations be um, pleasing to your sight. May they fulfill what you're longing for this community to experience and be and uh, the kind of culture you're creating here, the kind of community you want this church to be. Um, at the same time, God, um, correct anything that I say wrong. And it's Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So good to see you all. Um, looking forward to being with you all week. Uh, I want to talk to you today about spiritual hunger in a culture of apathy. Uh, spiritual, culture, spiritual hunger in a culture of apathy. Um, when we look at hunger and the longing within us, I think it's easy for us to name those hungers, the things we want, right? We want intimacy, connection, love, friendship, admiration, sex. We want pleasure. We want success, health. We want the beauty of the body. We want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to be known. We want to be loved. We want to leave a mark, and we want to be noticed. Um, And we're creatures of habit. And we love the familiar. The unknown is always scary, so we focus on our fear and these things. It's easy to grasp. Um, hunger, this theme of hunger we're in, there's a series. What I want to do today is just talk about spiritual hunger. What is it? And then uh, also, and simply just what do we do when we've lost it? What is spiritual hunger and then what do we do when we've lost it? The next couple of weeks, we're going to dive deeper into some various themes of where this theme of hunger comes about. Next week, we'll look at the temptation of Jesus. Uh, We'll also look at what does it mean to feast as a community. Uh, We'll look at what does it mean to uh, pour out praise as a community. 
Um, but today, I just want to talk about this: what is spiritual hunger, and 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 what do we do when we've lost it? Um, one of the challenges I think of being a Christian is kind of this reality of um, you're. You can be full and hungry at the same time, spiritually speaking. You can, you can be completely full of feeling like, like okay, God, like I have you, I know you, I've, I'm experiencing you, but yet maturity is to still be hungry while you're full spiritually. Um, hunger, we know, is a sign of health, right? When you have a baby, uh, if the baby stops showing signs of hunger, what happens as a parent? What do you do? You get concerned, right? You're like, something must be wrong. There's a sign something's off if they're not wanting to eat. And then that's the same sign in a natural world. Signs in a spiritual world when there is no more hunger, uh, there's a sign of unhealth in us. Like there's a sign of something when we no longer want God. And I think the reality is whether you're here as a Christian or an atheist, we all want God. I think it was, I don't know who said it. It's sometimes thrown to G.K. Chesterton, but he says, every knock at a brothel is a search for God. Julian Barnes, an atheist, wrote a book, and his very first line was, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. That every longing of the human heart, there is a longing for more. Uh, Sebastian Bach wrote a metaphor of a story of this seagull. I can't remember all the details, but the seagull was tired of just being a normal seagull. It wanted to fly higher than any seagull. It wanted to fly faster than any seagull. It did everything it could, and it exhausted itself um, to the point of exhaustion and, and death. The point of the fox story was this, this, this search for more, more fame, more, more love, more of anything. There's this hunger in us that cannot be fulfilled except fulfilled in God. That's why in Matthew 5, when Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then he gave a promise, they will be filled. So that's a pretty big promise. That if you hunger and thirst for the kingdom of God, which by the way, righteousness is both right relationship with God and justice, right relationship with your neighbor. When you hunger for the kingdom of God, and then you hunger for the world to be right, you will be filled. You will be filled. You will be satisfied. Um, and so we, we come longing for these things. And the, the good news is, is all these things that we search for, frustration will be resumed when you don't connect that energy to the right source. Um, when, that's, when you're not connecting it to the source of God, that energy will uh, be frustrating. Um, Isaiah 55 says this, the prophet, Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters, you who have no money, Come, buy, eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, your labor, and what does not satisfy? Uh, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the riches of fair. He's saying this is a grace. This, this, this provision of what God wants to give you in hunger is purely of grace. So the minute we're born into this world, we need food. And we forget... I think God's been reminding me in my own personal life, just this place of utter dependence on God. Um, you know, when you're young, you need food. Your parents feed you. You hope your parents feed you. And then when you get older, you, you feed yourself, right? That's how it's supposed to work. Um, and then this story that Elizabeth read in Deuteronomy, Israel is gone through 40 years in the desert. 
wandering around, trying to go to the promised land. They can finally see the promised land. Moses is with them. He's, he's uh, at old age. He's, he's about to die. Um, and he's giving them just a reminder of all that God's told them. And they can see the promised land. And he says this in Deuteronomy uh, verse 2, if you put Deuteronomy back up. He says, remember how the Lord... So first of all, remember. Remember how the Lord, your God, led you all the way into the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what is in your heart. So first of all, this, this wilderness is a sense of a, a humbling that he's doing, stripping them away of everything. Next verse. In verse 3, he humbled you to cause you to hunger. He humbled you to cause you to hunger. Um, some of you are in a situation where you feel like God has stripped things from you, uh, things you used to enjoy, certain, certain areas of your life that were very important to you that feel stripped away or different. And God's saying, I didn't strip those from you to, be, to take them from you. I stripped, those things were stripped from you so that you could be in complete dependence on me so that I could then return to you that thing back, but also way better, so that you would be in total dependence on me, not on the thing that you're enjoying. And so he's saying here, I, I, I'm, I caused to humble you, and then I would feed you with manna. And in manna, the Hebrew word is, uh, what is it? Manna literally means, what is it? So I fed you with what is it, and you and your ancestors didn't know what it was. Um, it's just kind of humorous. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, and so here we're seeing something that there's like a... Getting, getting beyond the, the reality of life where um, the, knowing God gets to the point where this is the only thing that satisfies. Have you gotten to that place of a dependence crisis? Like Paul, he said, I, was, I had a thorn in my flesh, and I prayed three times for God to go... Take it away. And that wasn't just like, I prayed three times, he didn't take it away, the thorn's still there. I think he means there's three seasons of depression. See, three, there was these seasons of depression, anxiety, lowliness. Uh, many, many, John, John St. the Cross called it the dark night of the soul. God takes you through the dark night of the soul, where you feel like God is, C.S. Lewis called, as knocking on a door. When I pray, he said, I'm, I feel like I'm knocking on a door. And as I'm knocking, I hear double, double locks being locked as I'm talking. That God is nowhere to be found and closing himself off, it seems. And, and, and uh, Moses says that he's, he's wanting to, hum, he does this so that we can be in a place so hungry and in a place of dependence. Um, and so some of you are in the desert, and this role of the desert is a very important role in your life. It is a very important role in your life. It's this dry place, this difficult place, a barren place. So what is happening here? You're, you're living on the edge. Uh, it feels like, you know, doesn't seem to be purpose in what is happening. Uh, God uses these desert times uh, for our flourishing, for our maturation, for us to develop a deep hunger. So what I want to show you is, um, is in this is, uh, I want to just kind of show you some examples of people who are hungry. Um, and, and just make, hopefully that helps you be hungry, right? Like, you get hungry when you see food. Uh, you get hungry when you see people who uh, maybe express hunger. And, um, yeah, I titled this Living in a, in a, in a Being Hungry in an apath- Apathetic Culture. Today, there is a very rare commodity that everybody wants. And it's not silver, and it's not gold. It's not, you know, lithium. 
The rarest commodity that everyone is going after right now is your attention. Everyone is selling and trying to buy your attention. Have you ever been on your phone and been like, how many people did I pay today? How many people did I give them a check because of the time, the hours I spent on my phone? I'm not trying to like, don't use phone, don't, don't, don't have moments of that. I'm not trying to moralize anything. But I just think sometimes the vying of my attention, the morality of my attention, the, the, you know, there, there was a, the American spirit, which I love Barack Obama's yes, we can. I do. I do. It, it fires me up. <clears throat> but when our culture, all we ask is yes, we can, and we don't ask yes, we sh- or should we, can we is different than should we. And, and when we begin to give our attention completely over to everything else, and then we're so full, it's like we, we get full on several things. We get full on a filled appetite over another hunger over something else other than God. Or sometimes we just get full on sugar highs, which is basically dopamine hits. And dopamine is completely different than happiness. It's completely different than joy. It's this quick escapism and fix. And so we, have, we are literally paying people and we're desperate for our attention. And I believe God just wants to encourage you today. What does it look like to, give, to, to rediscover a hunger for God again in your own way? And I think when we say things like hunger for God, it can create some kind of fear or weirdness. We kind of think of like a church of people barking like dogs, running around, passing out, being slain in the spirit, falling down. We kind of have a certain image because like a certain tribe might use the word hunger more than others. But what I'm here today is whether you are Arminian or Calvin or you know Presbyterian or or, or Pentecostal, whether you're 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 you know Quaker, Anabaptist, I don't care. There is a hunger for God that comes in all shapes and sizes, and it looks different for everybody, but it always results in more of God. And so I want to show you that today. A couple of people, an example. First example, if we got a slide. Um, St. Augustine says, Thou hast formed for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. And Hamilton said, I'll never, I've never been satisfied. So, I mean, I figured we've got to start with him. If Hamilton said it, we know it's right. Okay, I got your attention. Uh, Mary Oliver, I don't know if you've ever read any Mary Oliver poems. Beautiful work. Somebody more than anybody I've ever read that displays and understands the meaning of life. Um, Mary Oliver said this, the instructions for living a life, pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. Be, pay attention, be astonished, and tell about it. Mary Oliver, before she died, said this, knowledge has entertained me, and it has shaped me, and it has failed me. Something in me still starves. And what is probably the most serious inquiry of my life, I have begun to look past reason, past the provable, and in other directions. Now I think there is only one subject worthy of my attention, and that is the precognition of the spiritual side of the world. And within this recognition, the condition of my own spiritual state. She says, I've, 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 Mary Oliver is an expert in paying attention. She has an entire career built around paying attention. And she says, the only subject left for me to focus on is the spiritual side of the world. I think that's something to listen to. I know I do. I'm like, okay, you're you were 80. I'm my age. I'm listening to you. Um, so you're like, okay, Mary Oliver, great. Um, next slide. Uh, Howard Thurman, the great mystic. Howard Thurman. Oh my goodness. I wish we could just do like a 
eight-week class on Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman um, went to college with Martin Luther King's dad. Howard Thurman, MLK asked Thurman to be his mentor. MLK carried two books with him everywhere he went, The Bible and Disinherited Jesus by Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman uh, visited Gandhi. He visited Gandhi to learn about nonviolent love. He went to learn about the act of nonviolence, what was happening in India, and how it could impact the African-American community to bring justice. But Howard Thurman was so different than anyone else. Howard Thurman was a mystic. Uh, Howard Thurman would, if you listen to his speeches, you'll hear, you'll start to hear Dr. King come out. You'll hear the cadences. You'll start to see a lot of influence on Dr. King. Uh, Howard Thurman would say things like this. He would talk about the sound of the genuine. He says, you must be still and listen for the sound of the genuine within you. If you don't find it, if you can't claim it and inhabit it, you will always be dancing on the ends of strings that someone else is pulling. Uh, Howard Thurman found God in nature. Uh, he encountered God a lot in nature. He, there, behind his home, there was a mighty oak tree. And he would talk to this mighty oak tree. Um, he would experience God all throughout nature. He had this unique relationship. He said, I could reach down and talk to the mighty oak tree. He said, I could take up my bruises and joys take them to this oak tree. Thurman is talking to trees, y'all. That's hunger. All right? That's hunger. But this does not belong to a tribe of Christianity. This is in a, a sense of the natural, the, 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 the urge of the human spirit to want to be filled with God. And so Thurman couldn't deny God exists with all these transcendent experiences. He was a mystic, which basically he relied on, he realized that a person who relies on direct experience of the divine as being true much more in real ways than intellectual reception of the divine. He saw that intellectual reception of God is far, far inferior by comparison than direct experience of God. Um, and we see this true of, it's funny that we, we knock on the enlightenment of why it didn't fulfill us, the sense of reason and logic, and then we still use logic to try to keep fulfilling us. And Thurman was so different. Uh, he learned to live by a sense of silence. He was not really well-received by other black preachers because Thurman would preach a sermon and he would say, what are we doing with our lives? And he would close his eyes and silence. He's like, no, I'm actually I'm like asking you to think about it, not just like rhetorical. Like, he would then say, what are the motives that order our days? And just be silent. Where are we trying to go? So he didn't have the cultural milieu of the time of teaching that way, and, but yet Thurman was someone so deeply connected to God, so deeply hungry for encountering God. Um, Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal, 1623, was a child prodigy of mathematics, physics. Very brilliant. And he writes this, the year of grace, 1654. He says, from about half past ten at night until about half past midnight, Fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He's the only found, he is only found by the ways taught in the Gospels. Grandeur of the human soul, righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, joy, tears of joy. 
He would say this, the heart has its reasons, which reason does not know at all. So amazing. He then took this piece of paper of what he wrote down. He sewed it into the inside of his jacket, which was kept there the rest of his life and not discovered until he died. And Blaise Pascal created the the calculator. (laughs) He created the calculator, okay? So, (coughs) again, just amazing stuff of people just looking for God. Um, Next slide. Um, So you're like, okay, those were all dead people. Okay, fine, Matthew Perry. You know, I know it's Matthew Perry. I know he's, you know, but hey. As, I, as he struggled with his addiction to come over, overcome addiction, he says, as I kneeled, the light slowly began to get bigger, bigger and bigger until it was so big that it encompassed the entire room. What was happening and why was I starting to feel better? I started to cry. I mean, I really started to cry. That shoulder-shaking, kind of uncontrollable weeping. I wasn't crying because I was sad. I was crying because for the first time in my life, I felt okay. I felt safe, taken care of. Decades of struggling with God and wrestling with life and sadness. All was being washed away like a river of pain. I'd been met in the presence of God. I was certain of it. This time I had prayed for the right thing. Help. Uh, William Booth, founder of Salvation Army. I will tell you the secret. God has had all that there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, even with greater opportunities, but from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with me, and then on that day I made up my mind that God should have all of William Booth there was. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army, it is because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. Um... These, these are all examples. C.S. Lewis. I'll just keep going. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis called himself the most reluctant convert of all of London. Um, C.S. Lewis, if anybody, um, he, he was told by someone that his mom had cancer as a child. He was told by someone that if he prayed hard enough and with enough faith, his mom would be healed of cancer and she died. C.S. Lewis later became an atheist because of this disillusionment promise. And, or mis, misspoken promise, misinformed. Um, Lewis later said that it was this German um, phrase that was very influential in him becoming a Christian. Uh, this, this, um, this word, I can't really pronounce it, pronounce it well, sinsuk. He described sinsuk as this inconsolable longing in the human heart for which we know not what. And it haunted Lewis, this longing it had elements of nostalgia and joy, and it was a longing for a home of some other world, he would call it. He believed that if there's, in, in the world, if you have a longing for something, that means there's a, a feeling. He says, there wouldn't be this longing in our, my heart if there wasn't a, a, a way it could be filled. And he believed that was with God. Um, Lewis says this, it would, be, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies plum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the We are far too easily pleased. And so <clears throat> here we just have several examples of hunger, uh, several examples. But what do we do when we lose hunger? Um, how do we get it back? Now, I don't have a formula. There's no formula. 
I can't give you that. And I can't make you want God. And, and that's one of the biggest burdens for me as a pastor is I get up here every week and try to talk to you about God and knowing I can't make anything happen. I can't cause change. I can't bring change. I can't, I can't cause anything. Um, but I just wanted to couple, point out a couple of things that brought to my mind of like what happens when we lose hunger. <clears throat> because I think one of, the, one of the challenges of our day is, if you think about it, no one has seen, ever lived in human history, who has personally witnessed with their eyes as much brokenness as our generation. I mean, think about it. The amount of hurt and disaster and pain and death we see in our personal lives through the lens of social media supersedes by far any generation before has ever witnessed. I mean, think about the Titanic sinking. You would probably hear like hear it on, a, on the radio. Maybe years later, you would see this 80-year-old who lived on the Titanic and told a couple of stories. Today, there would have been 20 people live casting the thing while it goes down. Like there's the amount of disaster we see is just heartaching. It can totally cause us to grow numb, totally bring us to go cold, to, to lose our hunger. The first thing I think we need is, um, sorry, <clears throat> this slide. I'll, I'll get back to that slide in a minute. Um, next slide. Go, I'll come back to that. Believe in the strength of our heart. I just rely on this phrase a lot, this phrase that... Um, that sticks out to me, that my heart is stronger than my bones. That my heart is stronger than my bones, even when my body doesn't feel like it, even when my will doesn't want to, that there is a heart inside of me uh, that, is, that can endure so much more than I can ever imagine. Jesus is driven to his knees, his, his body is broken, yet his heart was so much stronger than his bones. Um, the second thing <clears throat> is just humble, honest prayer. I mean, the, the, the way you get your hunger back is just complete honesty. Jesus didn't give us formulas to pray. He, he said, when you pray, don't be like the Pharisees who go and pray in public, seeking attention. He says, go into your closet. In other words, go into your secret so that you can give complete honesty to God, to take our wounds and open them up before God, to pray, God, I don't want you, but I want to want you, or just, I don't want you. <laughs> like, that is a word God can handle. God can handle a lot from your honesty. If you think about the whole book of Job, the whole book of Job is a, is a lesson that God can handle your complaining for 40 chapters, which is probably 60 years. Okay? So God listens to Job complain from chapters 3 through 39, and then God finally speaks, where were you when I created the foundation of the world? Right? So God is a pretty big God. He can take all of your complaints. He can take whatever you need to say to him. And the way we get through and get our hunger back is to first unleash the thing that's got us in the, in the place of pain in the first place. Um, the, four, the, the, the third thing is all wounds can be carried if it is shared. All, if we keep our pain to ourselves, it destroys us. But we must share our pain. You're, you, you, can, you will either transform your pain or transmit your pain. And um, I'm all for wrestling with God, doubting God, creating safety for that. 
But if you're listening to your guides or people in their 80s who are still questioning God, doubting God, hating God, or frustrated with God, and that's your guide, you're usually listening to someone who never learned the beautiful art of letting their pain be transformed by community. Um, We must share our pain. All pain can be carried if we share it. And then, man, I would say this is one of the most important. Creativity and beauty in this creation. Go find beauty. Flood your heart with beauty. I mean, my goal of my days more than ever right now is to let the first hour of my life just go be beauty hunting. I know it's winter, so it gets really hard. But I mean, just go outside and find beauty. Capture it. Take photos of it. Do whatever you have to do. To flood your heart with the beauty and longing of God. The longing of creation. Like Howard Thurman. Sitting under that oak tree. Finding beauty in creation. I'm most inspired by um, a story in the Holocaust. There was a physicist and uh, a Jewish man uh, by name Primo Levi. Who was uh, in um, survived Holocaust prisoner. And he, as a physicist, he's very academic and studied. And he, so he's decided to study what he noticed people becoming dehumanized. Um, completely dehumanized, and he had to figure out how in the world am I going to save my soul? This prison. So he began to study scientifically what is going to be the common denominator that will save my soul from becoming dehumanized, and it was poetry. This art of reading psalms, reading the reading this beautiful sense of of, of uh, remembering this sense of beauty, the importance of beauty. That's the beautiful thing of art. Art is not to be a commodity to be sold. It's not a thing to be... Um, it is just... It doesn't have to have a reason. It just is. I love uh, the documentary of this French man who walked on a tight wire. They said, why do you walk on the t- t- tight wire across buildings? He goes, you Americans, you always want to know why. There is no why. <laughs> I love that. There is no why. Go find the things that make your heart come alive and go do it. And there doesn't need to be a why. You don't need to rationalize it, justify it. Just go find the things that make you come alive and go do it. And the beauty of this sense of hunger is what C.S. Lewis found out was, I, he, he basically was like, I would rather have the, the feelings of God, the feelings of this world, being filled and being satisfied with the things of this world and hungering for God and not ever being filled by God, that's more fulfilling. Does that make sense? The, hungry for, the hunger in and of itself is a joy. Hungering for God, searching for God in and of itself was more satisfying to Lewis than being filled and satisfied with success of writing a book, uh, having everything that he could that the unfulfilled longings of God are more satisfying than the fulfilled longings of the world. Um, the next one would be just eating God's word. Uh, this whole passage was like, you don't live by man, uh, bread alone, but by God's word. Um, C.S. Lewis would read uh, 150 psalms in a month. He would often be upstairs reading them aloud, pacing back and forth, reading the psalms aloud out, out to himself. Um, he would read through the, the all. I'm not saying you need to read through 150 psalms in each month. You may just say, I just want to focus on one psalm for an entire month. But what does it look like to 
to eat God's word again, to, to, to meditate on it, not rush through it, but just to sit with what God has to say to me. Um, and then uh, contact with the poor. Nothing causes you to be more hungry than to come in contact with someone else who has so much less than you, yet has the same struggles with you and probably has more joy than you. And when you begin to have, be in contact with the poor, it does something to you and it wakes you up and goes, gosh, why was I stressing about which you know, uh, coffee, West Elm coffee table to buy? Like, why was I freaking out about the color palette of my living room? Like, why was I, and you began to go, man, there's got to be so much more to life than this. Um, it's contact with the poor. Um, so what is this? Again, I said, as I said at the beginning, this hunger uh, doesn't have to look the, uh, one way, but it, it is often an integration of multiple things. Back to that slide with the, the diagram. Um, if you think about our value, uh, a lot of our values as a church, um, you could summarize them in like kind of a, a, a pillars of like, this is just my language, nothing we've ever like codified. Um, but I, I think of the vision of Missio Day Lincoln Square as kind of like this mission and justice. Um, and, and then our way of discipleship is really focused on emotional healthy discipleship. What does it mean to be emotionally healthy as a Christian? Um, and then up, up above is beholding God's presence. What happens is, is when we begin to only focus on mission and justice and then beholding God's presence, um, we, we begin to kind of have this like, uh, sorry, I got these, that may be backwards, but just when we just focus on beholding God's presence, it can be this unhealthy spiritualism or just event Christianity. It's just the spectacular, creating some kind of spectacular event and, uh, and just, Observing the spectacle of what is. Um, when we just focus on mission and justice, it burns people out. Uh, when we don't behold God's presence and we just focus on justice and trying to be healthy, it can lead to just social activism. When we're just focused on being an emotional, healthy church, we are a dying community. It can't, sometimes doesn't look beyond the navel. Um, we're always focused just on our own self-care. Um, when we're looking at just God's presence and emotional health, we become closed off to the needs of this world. Um, and then when we, when we begin to just focus on justice and emotional healthy discipleship, it can be compelling activism. But when we are integrating these three, we become a compelling community of compelling disciples. Now, the challenge I have as a pastor is most people who are Christians for a long time come in with one of these pillars and be like, why aren't we more of that? I'm like, no, why aren't we more of all three of these things? And then we judge based off our preferential way of following Jesus, other people who don't follow Jesus the way we do. And then what, what, what healthy looks like is, man, what does it look like? This is, this is what it looks like to be a people who are truly hungry. The hunger and thirst for righteousness, for God's connection, God's presence, and for justice. Um, and so um, a lot of times this is going to look different for everybody, but I pray none of us leave here today not challenged but thinking through what am I really hungry after and what am I hungry for? And God, I want to hunger for you and I want you to fill me. Um, so let the band come up. We're going to pray. Um, God, I pray that you would, um, let us just pause and slow down. God, we pray for this time that you would just uh, cultivate 
a hunger in us. Uh, maybe for some of you, maybe your your hunger is misdirected. This this message has helped you see that your hunger is misdirected. That you're you're just there's something of, of needing to be released, of surrendering, of, of a dependence on God. Not that you can't we don't need to be dualistic and think one thing is right or one thing is wrong. It's not about that. It's about it's maybe about a disordered desire. Some of you feel like God has stripped you away. You're in that desert place. You're just God's feeding you with what is it? <laughs> you're like, I don't even know what this is that you're sustaining me on, but I am in the desert. I am dried out. God is putting you in a place of humbling you so you may be dependent on Him. Others of you are like, I'm fully alive. That's great. Awesome to relish in that season, to not feel guilty for it, to take that beautiful gift it is and, and just enjoy pray for all of us that there will be uh, this will require adjustments in our life um, for hunger to for us to be filled on God we must at times uh, have to say no to things that's what Lynn is about is giving up giving up control surrendering dependency um, what must be terminated in our life what must be ended for us to move on so that we can have new life new focus new purpose new desires, new relationships. The old has passed away and the new has come. God, may your new newness come to us. May your hunger come upon this body. May we be a people who hunger and thirst for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're going to stand and sing. We're going to take communion. Um, my right, your left. Um, we're going to have some prayer leaders in the back ready to pray for you like we did last week if you're just like I want to be hungry or I am hungry or I just I want you to pray that I would recover my hunger for God or if you just want us to bless and pray over you you don't have to say anything if you need something prayed for healing uh, prayed for a need uh, whether it be financial or relational or sickness or whatever it is we want to pray for you as we stay in the worship